This is Bobby Guy with the 10 Minute Health BizCast. This is album two, track nine. This is Bobby Guy with the 10-Minute Health BizCast. With us today is Derek McLaren, who's the Senior Vice President of Strategic Development at Diversicare, a skilled nursing and long-term care provider. Derek has been working in the healthcare industry for more than 25 years, starting with his family's skilled nursing company, then developing a nurse practitioner company, a physician billing and software company, being a few other places in between, and he's now at Diversicare. My favorite fact about Derek is he's a knuckle-dragging snowboarder who got his first job out of college working at Club Med at Copper Mountain. He served wine and cheese, and since that's something the club only did at night, he got to spend his days snowboarding. We're going to talk about service innovation and fixing inefficiencies in healthcare today, and I've got to admit, that's a pretty efficient way to get in your time on the slopes. Welcome, Derek. Well, thank you, Bobby. It's good to be here. So I'd love to get your thoughts, Derek, about how we currently deliver health care to patients and the elderly in the U.S. and what we can be doing better. Well, you know, the way we deliver care to patients in the U.S. really comes down to insurance coverage and ability to pay. Now, obviously, your condition will determine whether you need a doctor visit, acute care, post-acute, or long-term care, but specifically how that care is delivered is determined by your payer source. Um, The way we deliver care to the elderly largely depends on whether we're talking about post-acute care or long-term care. And long-term care is easy. Uh, Long-term care is provided uh, in skilled nursing facilities and probably around 90% of it is paid for by Medicaid, with the other 10% being private pay or long-term care insurance. Some states have um, more robust home and community-based services. Some will pay for um, home health at home. Uh, Some have assisted living uh, Medicaid waivers, but these are not common. And frankly, they're really not that financially viable for providers. Post-acute care, on the other hand, uh, is much more complicated. Uh, Post-acute care providers are skilled nursing facilities, inpatient rehab facilities, home health care agencies, or long-term acute care hospitals where Uh, The payers are mostly Medicare or Medicare Advantage or other managed care plans. Uh, With post-acute care, the the payer does dictate what decisions are made by you. Um, Which decisions are made by you and your doctor versus what decisions are made by the payers. Um, Medicare is simple. Uh, You and your doctor decide the best course of treatment, um, which care setting is most appropriate, whereas Medicare Advantage and other managed care plans are much more involved and require prior authorization for post-acute care. So essentially, they decide where you will go. You have some options, but patient choice is definitely more limited under managed care. Further complicating matters is that many hospitals have created post-acute care networks, and these are networks of post-acute care providers that the hospital has deemed most worthy, and the criteria they use is Uh, mostly based on uh, the post-acute care provider's uh, five-star rating and rehospitalization rates. So hospitals and the managed care payers both have influence on where patients go for post-acute care. And, you know, as far as 
what we can be doing better. Um, I think we can be doing better in, in many ways. Um, for us in skilled nursing, uh, we could have a more fair and effective survey system, uh, which is the survey, uh, which is the system that monitors healthcare providers. Um, we have a, a flawed reimbursement model. Um, these models are far too complicated and they lack the proper alignment of the incentives. Um, we could simplify our post-acute care settings. Why have four different care settings to treat the same patient? Hmm. We could do better with information sharing and care coordination. So those are, I guess, just some of my thoughts on what we could be doing better in our healthcare system. So Derek, let's take those points you've just made and break them down a little bit um, for our audience. Okay, sure. So you know, the, the first point I was talking about was the, the, the fair and effective survey system. Um, you know, we currently have, and what I mean by the survey system, it's the, the system in which um, the state agencies monitor the performance of the providers. And currently, uh, for skilled nursing providers, um, it's, it's a rather punitive survey system. Um, and we should l look at creating a survey system that rewards the high performers more and the poor performers uh, less. And, you know, we, we all want to do our best and, and, you know, we try to do well in our surveys, but um, from a financial perspective, there really is no incentive for a deficiency-free survey versus one with a few low-level deficiencies. You know, yes, it, it, it contributes to your five-star rating, but, you know, if you have three or four stars, there really isn't any reward for or benefit um, by going from, say, you know, a four to a five star. It just isn't going to get people excited about seeking improvement. And, you know, on the other side, you know, when you, you find uh, a, a facility for these deficiencies, frankly, fines don't work uh, to deter bad behavior. You know, most providers will simply bear the fine, they'll try to do better. But, you know, fear of fines are not enough to create, you know, systemic change within a specific facility or, or an organization as a whole. Okay, let's break down the next point. So when I'm talking about flawed reimbursement models, you know, I'm talking about reimbursement in general. So, you know, our primary payer sources in skilled nursing is Medicaid, which is the majority of our, that's for our long-term care population. And, you know, Medicaid underfunds the cost of care in almost all states. Um, you know, skilled nursing providers, you know, we have to rely on our Medicare to make up for the Medicaid losses and contribute to any kind of profit margin, which, I mean, right now, our profession, we're looking at maybe a 1% to 2% profit margin. Hmm. On the other hand, you know, the hospitals, you know, they don't do as well with Medicare. They do much better on, with commercial payers. Um, and they rely on those commercial payers, you know, managed care payers to make up uh, for their losses in both Medicare and Medicaid. So it's almost like you bear losses with, with this population and hope to pick it up with this population. Um, and, and, you know, this model with under the Medicare reimbursement, uh, you know, another, another issue that we've got is, you know, CMS, you know, they have, I don't know if you've heard about CMS's uh, triple aim. Well, our current reimbursement model does not achieve, does not work towards achieving CMS's triple aim. You know, and just real quick, you know, the first 
of their triple aims is to improve the experience of care, the, the customer experience, if you will. Mm-hmm. You know, if this is so important, you know, why won't CMS add customer survey results to the, the nursing home CMS five-star rating? You know, it's like if, if they want to improve it, then they have to measure it. And, you know, we have been advocating, let's add customer satisfaction, patient satisfaction results to our five-star. And um, it's just, it isn't, it isn't in the five-star and, and it, it doesn't contribute at all to our reimbursement. You manage what you measure. So if you don't measure it, very hard to manage to it. That is exactly right. And so if this is their, one of their primary three aims, then let's measure it and let's, let's make it a part of the, uh, the five-star and even make it a part of the reimbursement. So, mm-hmm. you know, their, their second aim is to um, improve health or outcomes. I mean, the Medicare PDPM reimbursement system does not really incentivize providers to improve health or outcomes, um, only to do it more efficiently. And so um, from that standpoint, it's been good, but I don't know that it really achieves any improved outcomes. The final of the triple aim is to reduce costs. The new Medicare PDPM system was intended to be budget neutral. So, I mean, that doesn't reduce costs. It just creates neutrality. But in fact, it's actually increased costs. So I just, I just think we need to take a look at this. Um, you know, there's a solution somewhere. Uh, American Healthcare Association has been developing various uh, reimbursement models for skilled nursing that are similar to like the hospital DRGs or bundle payments. But CMS just implemented the Medicare PDPM a little over a year ago, so I, I don't expect anything to change in the short term. Um, so, you know, that's those are my thoughts on the reimbursement. I don't know what the solution is, but I know we've got to. I think we can do better than where we are now. So, tell me what you're doing about these sort of issues at your current job at Diversicare. So, you know, a, a lot of the issues that we face in our profession are, you know, just just functions of the environment in which we operate. And there may not, you know, may not be a whole lot we can do to change them, but you know, what we can do at Diversicare is create a culture or a forum where we adapt and, and develop according to the opportunities that come with these changes in regulation, reimbursement, um, or technology. Um, at Diversicare, we created uh, the Strategic Development Group uh, where we try to identify opportunities that really sort of hit in three main areas. Um, there's the uh, efficiency innovation or process innovation or uh, process improvement. And, you know, this is just basic operations management. You know, how do you eliminate bottlenecks and improve efficiencies? This is more about looking at how we do things and, and finding ways to do them better. Uh, example is, you know, Diversicare, we, uh, we evaluated our uh, case management, uh, our care coordination, you know, how we do everything from referrals to case management all the way through post-discharge. Mm-hmm. And um, we, we identified a, a lot of inefficiencies in that whole process. And so we created a, an innovative uh, care coordination model. It came out of this collaborative process. Um, and that's, so that's it's really just taking a look at our, at our internal processes and trying to find some opportunities for efficiency. Another one is to look at our, our, our current service delivery and, you know, how can we enhance what we're doing? Mm-hmm. So, you know, an example would be, um, 
you know, maybe adding on-site nurse practitioners or um, implementing a telehealth model. So it's, it, it, it's just creating an enhancement to an existing uh, service that you're providing. Um, and, and then uh, another area would be something that's more like disruptive innovation where you're completing some, or you're, you're creating something completely new. Now, this is much you know, harder to do in healthcare um, be, because, you know, with any, anything new, you've got to have new reimbursement, new regulation, <laughs> right. you know, so that's everything that goes along with it. Medical device, it's a lot easier, you know, to innovate and create something really new and, you know, cool on the market much harder to do a service delivery. But, you know, you could also do something that maybe you're creating something new in skilled nursing that hasn't been done before. Maybe it's looking at a, a service and saying, you know, why can't we do that in skilled nursing? So that's, that's kind of, that's what we're doing at DiversiCare around innovation. So let me ask you as we close, if you could snap your fingers and change one thing about how we do healthcare in the U.S., what would it be? Well, if I could snap my fingers and just make it happen, I would change our overall approach to public health. You know, we need to focus more on wellness and prevention. We are outpacing our capacity to provide care to, you know, a growing population whose health is declining. You know, the Medicare fund is running out with no relief in sight. So, you know, the problem is, you know, th this is going to take generations to change. Um, you know, unhealthy lifestyles are just part of our culture, you know, fast food, no exercise. I mean, just look at, look at any office parking lot, all the spots up close are taken, <laughs> you know, and ironically go to a gym or a health club, same thing, you know, they're going to exercise, but they want to get the closest spot to the gyms. So. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, and it's just simply parking farther away, using stairs instead of the elevator. I mean, it would make a big difference, but that's changing people's behavior and that requires them wanting to change. And we've got to figure out how to make them want to change. So if I could have a wish, that would be it. Thank you, Derek. Yeah, that's, that's excellent. Appreciate you being with us on the podcast today. This has been the 10-Minute Health BizCast, broadcasting from Nashville, Tennessee. Thanks very much for joining us. <laughs>